We're going to read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 14 tonight. Um, If you follow along in the uh, Bibles in the pew, you'll notice that verses 12 to 14 are actually under a new subheading going on to another section. Um, This is one of those cases where verses 12 to 14 fit pretty well with the verses that go before them and the verses that come after them. So scholars and other difficult people like to argue endlessly about which section those verses should go with. So I'm just going to read them this week and next week, thereby solving this huge dilemma that some people have. Anyway, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is God's holy and infallible word for us this evening. Well, there was this guy called Stu once who was in what you might call the autumn years of his life. He built a very successful business. He was pretty wealthy, and he was starting to think about retirement. But as he got closer to the date that he had set, he realized he wasn't quite sure what he was going to do with himself. Now, along with being a pretty serious businessman, Stu had always been a really serious bird watcher. So he decided that the year after he retired, he was going to do a big year. And in the curious world of bird watching, a big year is when you spend usually a lot of time and money and you travel around to see as many species of bird as you can in one year. So Stu decides to spend hundreds of days of that year and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars trekking around the country and even to some other countries to see as many species of bird as he can in that year. So Stu starts traveling around and making up his list of birds that he's seen. But as he's traveling to all these places, his guys back at the office keep calling him back. They're lost without him. And they don't get how this bird watching thing can possibly compare to the excitement of the business world that they're caught up in. 
So they call him back to help them with a business plan. And he goes off on another trip. And then they call him back to help with their next business strategy. And then he goes off on another trip. And then they call him back to finalize a deal. And then he goes off on another birding trip. And then they call him back again. And there's this dynamic that just goes on and on. And finally, the point comes when Stu walks out. He tells them, I'm not coming back. This is it. I'm done, I'm gone, I'm retired, I'm leaving, and it's up to you guys now. And as he walks out, the rest of the guys in the office sit there stunned. What is Stu doing? And how are we going to make this work here without him anymore? Now, obviously, there's some differences there, but it's fair to us when Jesus has left us here to ask the question, what is Jesus doing up there in heaven And what are we going to do and how is he still helping us down here on earth? Now, of course, when we ask questions like that, we need to know that we can trust that God's plan is for the best and we start with faith and with trust. But it also helps us sometimes to go on and to see some reasons why God works out his plan as he does. So tonight I want us to talk a bit about what Jesus is doing up in heaven now and how that benefits us still here on earth. Now, I thought about some different ways of talking through that, But I ended up deciding to talk through it in terms of Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. Those are the three classic offices that we often talk about the leaders of God's people in terms of. So tonight we'll talk about Jesus as our ascended prophet, our ascended priest, and our ascended king. Now first, Christ is our ascended prophet. Though this one, Christ as prophet, might be the hardest for us to still see going on now. Uh, Part of this might be that we automatically think of a prophet as kind of a crazy guy who can predict the future, and we don't necessarily see Jesus doing that a lot anymore. But that's not really at the center of prophecy. Really, if we ask, what is a prophet? The answer is basically that a prophet is a teacher. A prophet is a guide. In a Bible, a true prophet is someone who informs God's people and who teaches God's people about God's word and God's will. And if we think about prophets as teachers, it's easy for us to see a lot of ways that Jesus was a prophet when he was here on this earth. The Gospels give us several sermons of Jesus. There's a whole bunch of parables, and there's even a bunch of passages where Jesus is just sitting around teaching his disciples. And even here in Acts 1, we see at a couple points the resurrected but not yet ascended Jesus is teaching his apostles about what's gone before and what's coming next. But after the ascension, Jesus continues forever to be our teacher and our guide and our great prophet. But now he speaks to us through the means of his spirit, his scriptures, and his shepherds. Now in the first place, Jesus sends his spirit to teach and to guide us into all truth. Even here in Acts 1-2, Jesus is giving his instructions to the apostles through the Holy Spirit. And as the book of Acts and as the history of the church proceeds, Jesus continues to instruct and to guide God's people through the Holy Spirit. We don't get to see, touch, and experience Jesus in the same way that the apostles did, but he is still at work in us and with us personally through the Holy Spirit. And second, Jesus continues to teach us through his scriptures. In the Bible, we find the story of God's, the story of God's work with his people And we even meet Jesus himself as we hear stories about him walking, talking, and leading us on the right way. So today, even if we can't literally hear and see Jesus, we can look in God's word, the Bible, and we can hear Jesus' voice instructing us and guiding us on the path that God wants us to walk. 
And finally, Jesus continues to reach and to teach us through his shepherds. During Jesus' lifetime, he chose 12 apostles to lead his people. And after the ascension, God gave special gifts to some of his people to lead the church. And God continues to give gifts to the many leaders of the church, to pastors, to teachers, to elders, to all kinds of people in the church who serve as Jesus' under-shepherds, as Jesus' representatives to lead and to guide his people. Now, of course, pastors, teachers, all of us get it wrong sometimes. We disagree, we fight, we sin, we do all kinds of things wrong. But nonetheless, Jesus continues to lead his church through his appointed shepherds. Jesus, our great prophet, is up in heaven, but he sends his spirit, his scriptures, and his shepherds to lead us, his people. And second, Christ is also our ascended high priest. Now, to get at all the dynamics of Christ being our ascended high priest, that have to take us through the whole Old Testament, all of the Gospels, a lot of Acts, and a whole bunch of the epistles. So I'm not going to do all that. But I'm going to highlight three ways that Jesus continues to work as our ascended high priest. First, Jesus intercedes for us in heaven. Our God is not just a powerful, distant God up in heaven who can't, who won't, who doesn't understand our lives here. During his earthly ministry, Jesus lived just like one of us, except that he was sinless. But Jesus is really human. He truly took on human nature. He lived like us. He suffered like us. He was tempted like us, but he never gave in to temptation, and he never, ever sinned. But Jesus does truly understand our sufferings and our trials, and in him we have a sympathetic mediator before God's throne in heaven. As the Heidelberg Catechism says, Jesus is now pleading our cause in heaven in the presence of his Father. Jesus sacrificed himself for us on earth, and now he continues to be our intercessor or our mediator in heaven. And second, Jesus, as our high priest, assures us of our salvation. Through his work on our behalf, Jesus became God's new temple. Jesus brought us, he brought humanity right into the presence of God. Jesus became a connecting point between God and humanity. Now, even Jesus' mere presence in heaven can reassure us. If we have him in presence, if we have him in heaven right in God's presence, we can expect to be going there ourselves. Now, I've always found that one when I read the catechism a little bit like, how does this make any sense? How can Jesus be there, be really an assurance for us that we'll get there? What, what's the meaning of that? Well, as I was thinking this week, I remembered a time that I was out to lunch with my parents one weekend, and as we left the restaurant, this obviously homeless guy came up to us and said, you know, I'm really desperate. I just need a place to stay tonight. Can you rent me a hotel room? Now, obviously, everybody's scam alert started screaming very loudly. Don't, don't, don't. But my parents had a lot of experience with homeless people and with people in that particular area. So my dad talked to the guy for a while, got a sense that he really was trying to do some things, and he really just wanted a warm place to sleep that night. So we went a little bit over to a cheap hotel, and my dad went in to pay for a room for this guy for the night to help him out. But as he got in there and started talking, the clerk at the desk wasn't really very happy about renting a room out to this guy. As it turned out, the last time this guy had managed to scrape together enough money to stay at that hotel, it had been a really cold night. And so after he got the room for himself, he went out and he found all his buddies and he brought all them into the hotel room. 
And then later, he heard a couple more of his buddies were out there. So he went out and he found them in the cold. And he brought them into the hotel room. And so on and so forth. Once this guy got in someplace safe and warm, he was going to make sure that all of his people got in there with him. He was not going to leave anybody out in the cold. So they ended up with 15 or 20 people packed into this cheap little hotel room. And it was not cold in there. It was warm. It was safe. You couldn't move. But everybody was happy about it except the hotel management. You've got to be careful when you let one person in because a dozen or two dozen more might be coming right on his heels. Now, obviously, that analogy doesn't work on a few levels. But the point is that we've got a guy in heaven. We have one of us who is up in heaven right now, and he is not going to leave any of his people out in the cold. Jesus is going to make sure that we all end up somewhere safe for eternity. And his presence in heaven right now, the fact that he has gone there and is preparing the way for us, is a real assurance that he will bring all of his people there. Third, Jesus, our ascended high priest, sends the Holy Spirit to us. In verses 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 1, Jesus told the disciples to wait for the gift that the Father has promised when they'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in one sense, this baptism in the Holy Spirit is going to be a commissioning to go out and spread the good news through the whole earth. But in another sense, this baptism in the Holy Spirit is about the disciples being purified, being made clean. Jesus, by his sacrifice on the cross, created a way for us to become holy. And then Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to make us perfect people. Our high priest in heaven intercedes for us, assures us of our salvation, and sends his Holy Spirit to us to make us holy. A third for tonight, Christ is our up-and-coming ascended king. When I was in college here in Chicago, I'd usually fly home to Denver for the summer. And of course, the end of the semester was always exhausting. So by the time I finished my papers, my projects, and my tests, and I got my dorm room packed up, and I said my goodbyes to all my friends, and I did everything else I had to do, I was just exhausted. So I'd get on the plane, and I'd go to sleep before the thing even took off. But then every single time I flew home from college, I'd wake up about halfway through the flight. And then I couldn't get back to sleep. So I'd sit there and fidget, and I'd check my watch. And then I'd try to read a book, and then I'd check my watch. And then I'd listen to music, and then I'd check my watch, and that plane just did not fly fast enough. If my parents had been along, I probably would have been sitting next to them doing that. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? My kids never do that to me, by the way. Anyway, and once I got off the plane, I just fell asleep on the car ride home anyway. But somehow, on that plane trip, I couldn't fall asleep, and we just never got there. Well, in Acts 1-6, Jesus' apostles are having their, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? They're having that moment. They thought Jesus was the Messiah come to bring back the kingdom to Israel. But then Jesus got executed by the Romans. And then once Jesus came back to life, they were thinking, hey... Now we're going to get the kingdom we've been waiting for. Now is a good time for the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. So they've been waiting and listening while Jesus has been teaching them for a while. But then they finally get around to asking them, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are we there yet? It's been a long time, Jesus. Are we there yet? And Jesus doesn't give them exactly the answer that they're looking for. 
But he does show them that he is the king of all things. Jesus, first of all, tells the disciples that only God knows the times and the dates for the fulfillment of his plan. God has the authority, and the disciples don't need to be poking around and knowing all the details of God's plan for the future. But Jesus doesn't stop by telling the, telling the apostles, no, we aren't there yet. He goes on to give the apostles a sense that they have, well, they've at least begun to arrive. After Jesus tells the apostles to wait in verse 7, he tells them that the Holy Spirit will give them the power to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And now at Jesus' time, whenever a new Roman Empire, a new Roman emperor came into rule, one of the first things he would do would be to send heralds to all of the empire, to go to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and to go out to, and to announce that a new ruler had come. There was a new emperor, and it was time to serve him. What Jesus is telling his disciples here is that a new king has come. His reign has begun, and he's sending these chosen people out as heralds to tell the whole world that the new kingdom is here. The new king has begun reigning, and it's time to serve him. Now, there was another Roman tradition around the time of Jesus that whenever an emperor, an emperor would die, someone would be sure to see a star ascending to heaven. Because the emperor who had died had become like a god, and now he was up in heaven somehow doing something while the new emperor reigned on earth. But in this first chapter of Acts, King Jesus does all the emperors one better. And while he's still alive, while his body and soul are together, while he is a whole living person, he ascends to heaven, and he begins his reign there over the whole earth. He isn't just some emperor who's gone up and left his people behind. He has gone up to sit on the throne and to become king of everything. Jesus is the new resurrected king. And in his ascension, he takes over the whole earth and he sends out his apostles to proclaim his authority everywhere over the whole world. Jesus is now our king in heaven and his authority extends over the whole earth. But along with that, along with Jesus being our king up in heaven, he's also our king who is coming again. As the disciples are standing there, staring up at heaven, apparently a bit confused about where Jesus has gone and what they're going to do next, all of a sudden there's these two messengers standing next to them. And they tell them, this same Jesus who you just saw go up is going to come down again someday in exactly the same way. This king who has now ascended on high is going to descend someday and bring God's kingdom, and make God's kingdom all in all. So for right now, we have the comfort that Jesus is acting as the ruler over everything. He has ascended, he has begun his reign, and nothing can happen apart from his power. But we still live in a world where evil and sin run rampant, where things aren't right, where things are not the way they're supposed to be. But Jesus in heaven is preparing for the day when he'll come back, when he'll make all things right. And Acts gives us the assurance that Jesus will come back. He will descend from heaven to earth, and he will make all things new. Jesus is the king of everything, and his kingdom is coming and will come. But finally, after we talk about Jesus ascending to heaven, about him acting as our prophet, our priest, and our king, but well, we want to ask, 
how can we respond? Jesus continues to teach us through his spirit, through his scriptures, and through his shepherds. He continues to intercede for us. He assures us that we'll be saved. He sends the Holy Spirit to make us holy. He reigns as our king in heaven, and he will come again and be our king on earth. Jesus certainly hasn't gone into some big year retirement up in heaven. But still, what do we do with all this? How do we respond in the here and now? If we come back down to ground, what are we supposed to do back here on earth? Well, along with all the assurance that Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king can give us, one way for us to answer the question of what we should do back here on earth is to look at what the apostles did. After Jesus ascended, the disciples continued to obey, and they waited. Jesus told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come, and the disciples went and waited. But they didn't just sit around and do nothing and just wait for God to do something. They gathered together as a believing community continually, and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. These apostles and the other people with them were intent about discovering and following God's will. But before they went out to do it, they gathered together and they waited for the Lord and they earnestly prayed for his guidance. Now, of course, all of this culminated in them going out to bear witness to the whole world, but that's a story we'll leave for another sermon. For today, I want us to close out by remembering that our resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus is still at work in our behalf, even today. And while we wait for him to return, we obey his will, we wait on his timing, we gather together continually, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray.